Hello and welcome to Spin Unspun, the podcast about leaders and leadership in the world of corporate affairs and corporate communications. I'm Damien Rees from Instinctive Partners in conversation with the best and the brightest in corporate affairs, asking all the questions and discussing all the topics that really matter to people who shoulder the weighty responsibility for corporate reputation and effective communications. Today, I'm joined in the studio here at Instinctive by Nikki Lyons, Chief Corporate Affairs Officer for Vodafone UK. Nikki, hello. Hello. Lovely to be here, Damien. Welcome. Welcome. Great to see you. And also today, I'm joined by my co-host from Instinctive Partners, Katie Gabriel, Senior Account Manager here at Instinctive. Katie, great to see you too. How are you? Hello, Damien. And hello, Nikki. I am very well, thank you. And I'm really excited to be here today to talk about Nikki's impressive career. Okay, good. Um, So let's start with you, uh, Nikki. Um, Obviously, you're at Vodafone. Um, You've worked previously at a variety of companies in different sectors, Walgreen Boots, um, famous retailer, Unilever, PepsiCo. But you also started in government, uh, in the UK government. Um, Just tell us a little bit what it was like moving from government into the commercial world, as it were, and this role of communications. Was that a massive, massive step, a big change? And why did you do that? I... um I spent six years at the Food Standards Agency. Prior to that, I was actually at Consumers Association where we lobbied for the creation of the Food Standards Agency. So I I went to the FSA with a, um, a slightly naive view of the way government works and what I could achieve there. And actually, I ended up... Um, being um, the communications partner to Sir John Krebs, who was the chairman at the time. And I really feel like it was it was an amazing six years of learning the ropes, how government works, how the media really works. Lots of sitting in the green room at 5.30 in the morning, traveling with him to um, speaking events, uh, going with him to Downing Street. I mean, it was it was a it was a fascinating view of of how our how our government works. Um, I guess after six years, the Food Standards Agency was firmly established. Sir John had moved on um, and I had spent quite a lot of time um, working with businesses who were interested in in changing the way that um, they were perceived and also the way that they behaved. Um, And PepsiCo was one of them. Um, I worked really closely um, with the then president, um, Salman Amin, through his role um, as an advisor to government. Um, And when he asked me if I'd be interested in jumping ship, I guess, becoming what would that be? Becoming the poacher or becoming the gamekeeper? I'm not quite sure. Uh, probably becoming poacher. <laughs> probably. Gamekeeper turned poacher. Yes, that's that's good, isn't yeah. it? Um, I, it just seemed like an amazing opportunity to influence a company that wanted to change from the inside. And, and it felt like um, the right moment um, to to move on. And you, I presume you must have therefore been able to bring quite a lot of insight to PepsiCo of how government regulation, et cetera, work. Absolutely. But I think the thing that I brought with me that that PepsiCo was most interested in was was how to build a sort of collaborative platform. And that actually is something that I that I've carried throughout my career. The idea of 
of working with the organizations that are regulating you as opposed to um, seeing them as the enemy. Um, the idea of building a, a base of, of organizations that can help you get where you need to go. So um, those in the charitable sector for, for PepsiCo, it was it was very much about the academics um, leading the SALT debate and the critics as well um, who were kind of working around um, the obesity crisis um, and engaging with them. And that that really comes from what I learned at my, my time at the FSA. And did that agenda follow through to, to Unilever? What Was that what you were doing at Unilever mainly? Yeah, I mean, Unilever, I guess, um, come at things from a slightly different perspective as, as a, an organisation that, that very much leads and is perceived as a leader. Um, but absolutely, I mean, the, the Unilever mindset is always to go first, go fast, um, build um, within different countries, partnerships and... and um, and kind of move the agenda on. I think PepsiCo was a little shyer about our influence. You know, PepsiCo mm. is very much a follower behind Coca-Cola in the soda business. Is that something to do with its US heritage, its US culture? Possibly, possibly. Yeah. But I, I think it, it comes from, from being a, a, a challenger brand mm. um, okay. and, and, seeing, um, and seeing the world, I guess, from a, from a slightly different perspective. So that's really interesting because Unilever is a company I've studied for many years as a journalist uh, and since then. Um, and what you say about companies that want to be leaders and and, and have a point of view, uh, they have a pers quite a strong personality versus companies that are, I suppose, what you might say, slightly more introverted. Uh, um, and the differences between those two uh, present quite interesting and different challenges as a, as a corporate comms person presumably yeah absolutely i think i mean they both they they were both dynamic organizations in in different ways and and as a as a a communications and then corporate affairs and sustainability leader they both presented for me different opportunities so for pepsico it was about building a sustainability narrative creating performance with purpose from from the ground up being part of that massive movement to change the perception of of a company who had been quite private up to that point and going you know going with um Indra Nui to the Aspen Ideas Festival for example and having her present on the world stage was was an, an amazing opportunity when i got to unilever you know at that point the the sustainable living plan already existed unilever was already um had already a, a heritage of of being out there driving sustainable living um, and I had the opportunity then to to work with Amanda Suri, who was the president of the food category, to develop a, a sort of bespoke um, nutrition sustainable living plan. Um, but it, it it came from a different place. It was already so much good work to um, to kind of give me a grounding, um, and that that meant that we could go. We could go a massively long way, but a lot of the good work had already been done. What I'm so intrigued by is how you've, you know, PepsiCo, Unilever, very much food, drink, even health related, really. How did that take you to telecoms and Vodafone? How did you end up changing sector so radically? I, I will admit when I got a 
call about just over a year ago asking if I'd be interested in Vodafone. I, I was quite surprised. I think it, it really is an example of how how the 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 role of the the corporate affairs chief has has changed during the pandemic in particular. I remember earlier um, in my career trying to to move sectors and looking really? at interested interesting opportunities outside of my sector and being told no 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 that's you know that's your lane stay there. Um, so for me it's you know I I believe that my expertise is in in corporate affairs and sustainability in corporate communications in the regulatory and government affairs space that's what I do and actually I think the opportunity to do that at Vodafone has been personally interesting but but actually while I'm learning about the sector I know how to do my job if you like definitely um, I think it's 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 interesting that we're now we're now respected enough as an industry that there's an understanding that you don't, you know, I could I can write messaging about about telecoms issues as well, perhaps not quite as well as I can about food and drink, but it's the skill is in in my ability to define messaging, not the specifics of the message. So I'm, I, can I just butt in there? Yeah, because uh, I'm just interested. <laughs> you definitely in, uh, can. Something you said about that corporate affairs is now such a well-understood job, as it were. And uh, this is a podcast called Spin on Spun, and it's it's hopefully going to debunk or explode some myths about spin doctors um, and what they do. And you mentioned that the, the role of current affairs has changed a lot over the years, as it were, in your experience. And I just wondered if you could explain how, what you feel the job really is now. What is it that you do? And why is it so important? And 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 why is it valued? And just to add another layer of complexity to my question, um, <laughs> do, do people, you say it's understood, but do people really get it within the organizations that you've uh, that you've worked for, would you say? I think uh, I think at Vodafone, my role is very clearly understood, mm. and the role of of external affairs as a function is is both understood and and respected, and that's a, a wonderful place to be for me and my team and my group colleagues as well. Um, I think that other organisations that I've worked in haven't haven't always seen the role that way and I think you know just looking in the outside world I mean and there was a, a Twitter thread I was reading last night about um, who was in the room when Centre Parks made their decision to close and surely if they had had their communications chief in the room and not just taking notes of you know this is what you will put out um, they would never have gotten into the mess they've gotten themselves into um, so I, I think I've been quite quite lucky in in my career in that you know certainly at, Un at Unilever we we talked about being trusted advisors that was something that Sue Garrett was very clear on that was our role and our responsibility and we carried the weight of that as well um but I I think it 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 has been an evolution and certainly if I think back to earlier on in my career perhaps not in the organizations that I worked in because I was quite selective about choosing the right places. But I think about, um, you know, how, how people perceived women in, in corporate affairs and communications in particular. They used to call us PR girls. You know, we were the girls that 
took the notes from the CEO, refined the message, made him sound cleverer than he was, and then put it out there. And and that's not it, right? That's not mm, it, really not. absolutely. <laughs> so, that, and it never was. Yeah. But I think there were there were organisations and there were people who were who were put into that box, whether they liked it or not. And of, of course, the media will say, "Spin doctors, they are they're the people who are there to say no." Or, or no comment. And of course, again, that's not the case, is it? I mean, no, I mean, I, I think if I if I think of the, the people around me and the people that I've worked with, even back in the days when, you know, I was a lowly press officer, um, that frontline role of being on the phone with a journalist, delivering a a message and helping them understand it, and then, you know, keeping your fingers crossed that the, the headline wouldn't wouldn't be inflammatory or suggest something wrong and the picture of your your leader was right and that everything was 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 just as the organization wanted that's a that's a massive responsibility and i think what's evolved is is the ability to the respect for our ability to see that and then the advice that we give it's not just you know sir your tie doesn't match and that's not going to look good on camera it's much more than that and it always has been but now that's that's much more understood and of course now it's as much going to be well sir your your highfalutin you know strategic ambition to acquire company x may not go down terribly well with uh, you know audience y and maybe the mna uh, uh um strategy needs a bit of rethinking and 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 uh 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 revision and i'm not specifically thinking about vodafone here but just generally speaking the role that you describe um has of course evolved massively over the years and is now a deeply important strategic boardroom role of as you say you know trusted advisor on all matters uh, that a company undertakes in terms of how it impacts the audiences uh, internal internal and, and external Absolutely. And and the guidance that we give on how to how to land a message, how to be an authentic leader, how to speak openly and transparently um, and and be compelling and engage and 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 take the temperature both of the organization. So you are reflecting the views of your employees and the outside world and your customers and navigate the complexity of all of those different audiences so that the organization is is represented and and seen positively. If I may, I would like to just go back to something really interesting that you said when you were talking about the perception of of women in in PR or comms or or corporate affairs. And I guess one of the questions I had as someone who's a woman and starting out her career in PR and as are many others, you know, what, what would you say are the other challenges to getting to the top really in in corporate affairs? Because it's an intense job. Um, and so I would just be really interested in hearing your take on that. Oh, I think it's I think it's a it's a tough one. I think that um, I think that I've learned along the way to listen to my gut and continue to keep my personal values close to me. Um, and I'd argue that's probably the same for any young person, male or female. But I think. I think being a, a woman in a corporate environment um, has its challenges in in the way that you're heard and you're seen. 
um, in a way that perhaps men, men young and older, mm. don't have to grapple with. Um, it's things like, you know, your voice becoming shrill yeah. when you're excited. You know, men can be excited in a room or be passionate or thump the table. And and that is seen as... as um, I've seen them beat their chest. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, but it's seen as, you know, as, as, a, as a strength. I've, I've been accused of being passionate as an accusation which it, it, and I've I've been told I'm feisty opinionated none of these things are compliments um and it's learning to take that in your stride and actually continue to forcefully interject your point of view to not let yourself be spoken over in a meeting to um not let somebody take your idea and repeat it as if it were their own um and all of these things are, you know, I think it comes it it comes with age and experience as well. It gets a little easier as you as you get older and as you become more senior. Um, but then there's also a responsibility there. I mean, I have a a, a wonderful um, actually I have a wonderful mentor and I have a wonderful mentee, and I think both of those things are are hugely helpful. Um, and I think that's also. An important role for for women to play in in a corporate environment, and particularly in in PR, where we are, you know, probably overrepresented versus other parts of the company. On the subject of mentors, um, who would you say have been the most important influences? Wow. Well, um, I would say um, there were there were a couple of, of senior leaders at PepsiCo, a woman called Nancy Littner, who was my my first boss when I moved to New York with PepsiCo, um, who she she her background was in um, oh goodness. She she used to work for uh, one of the big American aerodynamic uh, companies. And she used to say when we were trying to work through uh, challenges around obesity or about soda consumption or even, you know, um, the development of a plant-based bottle for Pepsi. And she used to say, you know, it's all too complicated. This is not rocket science. And I know rocket scientists. <laughs> and I just, I just I remember, you know, her ability to bring a conversation or bring a message to a level where it could be uh, memorable, easily digested, easily communicated, um, was was hugely influential to me. And I I I think about that quite often when I'm you know, reviewing copy. Um, is this is this simple enough? Is it memorable enough? Um, is it easy to communicate? That these are really important things in in the work that we do. What was it like working in New York? Um, Just thinking that <laughs> it was it was uh, it was exhausting and amazing equally. Is the role very different over there than it is here, for instance? I think the role in the US is better understood. They're much more evolved. Certainly at that at that time, there there was a better understanding. I think we've we've possibly caught up, um, but there was definitely a better understanding of. You know, it wasn't just comms. It wasn't just kind of communicating things it was also about stakeholder engagement it was about building alliances it was about the the conversation outside of the room as much as the interview um, itself um, 
it was, I mean, it, New York is, is so fast paced. PepsiCo is a very fast moving company, um, but it was also hugely exciting. Um, you know, the, the um, just the, the culture and the energy and excitement and, and the love of the brand. I, I always, um, I, in the UK, I think we, we're a little, still a little resistant to saying, you know, this brand is, means a lot to me. In the US, like, they're, very, they're very passionate about the things they like. Um, you know, people would, would um, quite often, I would um, meet, meet people and they would tell me, you know, I love Gatorade. It makes so much difference to my morning workout. And you think, oh, okay, great. <laughs> you know, not personally responsible for developing it, but lovely to hear. <laughs> Thank you. And it's, it's that lack of cynicism about about brands and the role mm. they play. And, and it was, yeah, it was just wonderful. It's a really great time in my life. You mentioned the S word earlier, which is sustainability, <laughs> which everyone's talking about these days, of course, as we know. And you've worked for some companies, and you still do work for companies that are pretty much at the what you might call the cutting edge of uh, sustainability as far as companies are concerned. But one can't help notice that companies are also getting highly criticised for their approach to uh, sustainability. And there is a growing scepticism in the media and amongst you know other external audiences. What do you think is the secret to getting it right? And why do companies get it wrong? Oh, goodness me. That's a question that take me hours to answer. Um, I think getting it right is, is about authenticity. I think a lot of companies fall in the trap of, of thinking they, they need to be every, across everything. Um, and it's almost impossible to be across everything. I think that... Um, that at, certainly at Vodafone, we've looked very closely at the role that we play um, in in the UK, and it's about connectivity. So taking that and making that the heart of our sustainable business strategy just makes sense. People get it. We get it. Our employees get it. Um, and it enables us to then go so much further. I mean, we have we have a really strong planet strategy but again we bring that back to connectivity so it's about you know can can we ask people to um bring back their equipment when they buy a new iphone could you trade it in um uh, could you trade in your old iphone and that's then allows us to to help um reduce waste electronic waste which is a really big problem um but it's also staying close to to what we do best which is connecting people um, and then we have a um, a program called everyone connected which is about um, about uh, the digital divide which is again a huge problem in this country and um, the number of people came to the attention particularly during the pandemic that don't have access to the world that most people take for granted that you get via your mobile phone or via your home broadband. And again, that's that's part of our sustainable business strategy, but it's also makes sense for us as a business to be to be connecting people who are vulnerable and don't have don't have access to to anything from being able to make a GP's appointment to 
parking their car, you know, the, all of the all of the things that you can't do if you're if you're not connected. Obviously, you've mentioned that underpinning your sustainability strategy is the idea of connectivity. And I think there are, you know, there are a lot of times where maybe all companies as well as Vodafone are put under pressure to talk about societal and political issues, which, you know, fall outside of that theme or or what your your focus is as a business. So, I mean, we would be really interested to hear, you know, what extent do you think companies and organizations should talk about these issues that are beyond their business interests? You know, I'm, we're thinking of Roe versus Wade, Black Lives Matter, Me Too, all, all of those kind of, of things. I think it's 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 an interesting one and not one where you can have a static opinion, mm. really. I mean, I I would say certainly when I was at WBA and part of a, a global team, having an opinion on issues that at least started in the US um, and then spread to the UK was was really important. I mean, I, rem- I remember um, the there were a, a number of um, of race-led incidents in Chicago where WBA is headquartered um, as a consequence of, of the George Floyd being murdered. And we had to react and respond in, in real time, um, thinking about our both the impact on our business. I mean, there were some riots and some stores were actually... Um, burned down, destroyed as a, as a consequence. Um, but also there was a, an outpouring of, of grief from, from our customer base and from our employee base that we absolutely needed to address in, in the moment. Um, and I think, think that felt right and it felt authentic. Um, and we very quickly realized that in the UK and, and among the Boots community, um, there was a desire for us to have a point of view, which we very quickly pulled together and, and put out into the public domain. I think it's, it is about taking the temperature um, of your customer and your employee base and, and being, having, having, I guess, staying close to your values, so having an authentic point of view, reflecting um, who you are as a company and, and what you do. I would say that where, where companies get it wrong is where you you stray into a space that just doesn't make sense for you, um, and I think you know now I'm back in a UK role, making sure that we we stay true to our the, the role that we play in the UK is really important. I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to take a, a position on on Roe v Wade because I don't think it's I don't think it's... Um, it's not authentic, is it? It's not no. authentic it's no to, to Vodafone UK. Yeah. No. It would just be a bandwagon to jump on. And I don't think that's right either. No, and I think consumers are becoming more and more critical of businesses that are just coming out and talking and having a you know a voice on, on every single issue that occurs um, because it does look inauthentic. And I guess it does lead to my next question of, do you think politics and business mix Wow. Yes, I think they. I think they do. I think they have to. I think it's unavoidable. I mean, you know, all of the 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 um, uh, the Edelman Trust Barometer, perfect example. Every year I read that and think, oh my goodness, you know, thank goodness I work in a corporate environment because actually corporate and the the leaders, corporate leaders, have become more and more important as trust has, in government across the world has gone down. Um, 
so it's making sure that you are um, engaging and influencing where possible um, is a is a really important is a really important role. I think we have to be engaged in politics. Um, I think there's probably a, dangerous though. Eh? There is, and there's probably a line. Um, I remember working at Unilever when the Brexit vote happened, um, and um, Paul Polman had a very clear point of view. Um, and I wasn't sure how I felt, not about what, it wasn't about what he was saying, but it was about whether or not he should be telling his employees who to vote for. Um, but then, you know, he was a particularly enigmatic leader and he wore his heart on his sleeve and it was authentic to him. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's, if you have that kind of platform and that kind of position, then, then it's fine. I think it's the 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 point is you know not popping up and suddenly commenting on something that just feels yeah. jarring to your audiences, whether it's internal or external. I think also it's really interesting um, when you think about companies like Unilever, for instance, that were uh, founded in the Victorian period. Lord Leverhulme, in founding Lever Brothers, <clears throat> and a lot of what he did was in reaction to some of the real moral outrages at the time, particularly around the, the conditions in which workers lived. And he built Port Sunlight, of course, and he built a business on the back of soap, which was which was manufactured uh, by him at the time by Lever Brothers in order to alleviate the terrible public health issues. So, and you look, you, you look at Cabris and the Bournevilles of this world, they were all businesses founded on highly moralistic uh, uh, foundations and um, great businesses were built and they came out of people who wanted to express a view on uh, things that at the time a lot of people would have said well it's, what's that got to do with uh, commerce and, uh, and and trade and so forth um, so the fact that we are now still debating it as a you know as whether or not companies should do it is is, is a quite interesting but also we shouldn't forget that I guess sometimes things feel slightly awkward and unusual for companies to do. And this is the whole thing about change. It feels difficult at the time. But when you look back, it feels like an entirely natural and a good thing. You know, thank heavens Lord Lever, Lord Leverhulme did what he did and created that business and Port Sunlight and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think, it, I think if, if, if a company gets it right, then it can carry you, you know, all the way into your product portfolio. I mean, I saw recently um, Boots, and we used to talk a lot about Jesse Boot, and similarly, yes, you Boots know, creating um, creating a business around a, a need for for public health products. And now they've they've launched a, a range. I think it was just this week they launched a range of of um, lower cost products to support three people through the cost of living crisis. Um, and it it makes sense. It, mu- it must make sense um, to the employee base, and probably creates a huge sense of pride. And it certainly makes sense from an external perspective. Um, and not having to explain it because that heritage and and your values are understood, I think is 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 hugely important um, if you are a a customer facing brand. So, Nikki, what then? is your advice to uh, your young self, perhaps, about building a career in in corporate affairs 
What uh, what do you think are the most important things to uh, to remember for a young person? I think it's about taking taking an opportunity that seems interesting and excites and energizes you because this is a hard job and it's long hours and quite often you are um, you are working on on something at a at a, a depth that perhaps nobody else will ever appreciate um you know back i think back on my my early days of kind of developing a briefing pack for a minister where you're doing um you know thinking up all the horrible questions you could possibly get asked in a press conference getting into that level of detail about what it is you're trying to communicate and all of the different ways it can be taken off in multiple directions you can only do that if you are really committed to what you do so i think you know following your passion believing in what you in in what you're doing even if it's even if it it looks like a sideways move on paper actually if it teaches you something new or it gives you an opportunity to do something um that you feel passionate about i would say go for it and and if i look back on my career i think you know it it doesn't follow a linear path far from it in fact um but what it's given me now is a breadth of of knowledge and expertise that i w- i don't think i would have had if i just kind of taken the next step on the journey in a more obvious way and you never know where life's going to take you let's face it and and, and what you say about opportunity is there is is absolutely it grabbing the opportunities yeah as and, they arise and finding interesting people to work with to learn from you know whether they're senior to you junior to you whether they're your peers i think talking to people understanding their motivation getting in their heads trying to um uh argue with them about um something they feel strongly about that you perhaps disagree with not being afraid to to challenge and then learn and perhaps refine your argument i think we we are my poor kids hear this from me all the time but i think we we we're slightly at risk at the moment of being a society where people are afraid to voice a, a point of view because it might get shouted down or it might be considered inappropriate or oh, yeah. offensive whatever and that's why you know testing that out among your peers or among your friends is is really important because because ultimately the job is about convincing other people of of your argument and not in an, an aggressive way but if you if you don't learn to do that early in in your career then then you i don't think you have that skill later mm. on when you need it it is critical you're right knowing how to challenge yeah. and change and, your mind as well i guess it's okay to yes. change your mind i think businesses actually do sometimes forget that that they can learn something and and change their stance mm. absolutely i got very frustrated during the pandemic where the, the media got excited about government u-turns mm. i mean not that some of those decisions frankly that's a whole other subject <laughs> i'm not not saying any of the decisions were right or wrong but the idea that somebody whether it was here or in the us or anywhere else in the world had taken advice and then refined their position was seen as a negative as opposed and then branded a u-turn as opposed to i didn't really get it before then i spoke to some people who know better than me and now my position is x 
I think that's that's so important. Nikki, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. You've been listening to Spin Unspun, the podcast from Instinctive Partners about corporate affairs and corporate communications with myself, Damien Rees, and my co-host today, Katie Gabriel. Uh, Katie, thanks very much for joining me. And our guest today uh, has been Nikki Lyons, Chief Corporate Affairs Officer at Vodafone UK. Join us again for our next episode of Spin Unspun. Details at instinctive.com. Find us on social media, on the usual channels. And if you'd like to get in touch about Spin Unspun, just drop me a line, damien.reese at instinctive.com. 